The Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together um, and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He, said, uh, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, he's back safe and, found, and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your, um, your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, his father, his father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Pastor Brendan's um, great kids talk, <clears throat> a little ditty came to me which said that tomatoes are soft and don't hurt the skin, but this one killed Jim, it was wrapped in a tin. <laughs> yeah. Happy Father's Day, that's a day joke. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity again that we have to look at your word, to learn more about you and to reflect upon our relationship with you and our journey with you. We ask that you might minister your truth to us by your spirit. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're continuing our series on the stories that Jesus told, and this morning, obviously, we're in the, one of the very famous ones, the parable of the prodigal son, as it is often called. But that's a wrong title, though it's a very 
common title. In fact, the parable is not just about one son. Jesus says there was a man and he had two sons. So it's about the man and it's about both sons. And in fact, in this story, we are supposed to find ourselves, that we're to identify, that's me, and to then reflect on our relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. The characters in these stories, particularly in this one, (coughs) that the Lord Jesus said on that day, reflect the people who are around Jesus, reflect the audience of where he is. It's always helpful to ask the question of why did Jesus tell this story? What's the context? And if we have a look at uh, the context of Luke 15, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the context from verses 1 and 2 is that Jesus is at a house and there are two groups of people. There are one inside and one outside. In fact, there are two groups inside, uh, tax collectors and sinners. And then there is a group of people outside, Pharisees and teachers of the law, scribes. And it's to those people and in that context that Jesus tells these three stories before we have a look at that let's just pause many of you will be familiar with these truths but just to remind you the tax collectors were those who had basically abandoned potentially their families but they'd certainly abandoned their religious convictions their commitment to being a faithful follower of Yahweh of God and that they had sold themselves out for their own selfish means and ends imagine at the end of World War II, that Japan, in fact, had conquered Australia and that we became um, submitted to them and that then Japan would be in control of our nation and that they came up with a system where they required uh, finances and resources, so they had a tax system and then they said to the people of Australia, we need some tax collectors. We need you to raise a fixed amount of tax and that gets sent back to our homeland, back to the land of Japan. You can add to that whatever you like. You can make as much money as you like. We'll turn a blind eye to all of that sort of stuff, provided we get our fixed amount. And so these were like the tax collectors back in the time of Rome. And the tax collectors were therefore quite disliked. They were hated. They were seen as traitors to to their nation. Uh, They lined their own pockets, they got bigger houses, they got nicer clothes, they got the newest donkeys or whatever it was. And so no one wanted to associate with them. But Jesus did. Jesus mixed with them. And in fact, Jesus calls one of them to be his disciple, Matthew. Well, the tax collectors were on the inside of the house and they were with Jesus, but there are also another group of people that the Pharisees called and that the Jewish people called sinners. They were using that term, obviously, in a very derogatory sense. They meant not just people like prostitutes, but they meant generally people who had abandoned the law. They had no intentions of learning the law or of obeying the law. They didn't attend the synagogue. Uh, For whatever lifestyle they had, they were moral and social outcasts. Um, They had just given up trying to do that. And the Pharisees, in fact, say to Jesus, they use a term, a title, which they wanted to be an insult it turns out being a compliment they called him the friend of sinners jesus was with these morally questionable people men and women teaching them talking with them sharing with them eating 
laughing and cheering. He was enjoying their company and they enjoyed his. He didn't look down on them. He didn't judge or condemn them, but nor did he condone their waywardness nor their sin. He loved them and they knew it. So they were attracted to him. Well, that's the group on the inside, tax collectors and sinners. There's a group of people on the outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes. If we bumped into a Pharisee today, then we would be impressed with them. They were moral, they were disciplined, they were conservative, they believed the scriptures, and they were missional. We'd almost use the word evangelical, but they were missional. They were wanting other people to become followers of Yahweh. They were respected and admired by many people in the society. Just like people today respect people who are very devout, very disciplined, and very religious. But while they wore their nice clothes and while they had strong religious convictions, they were also very proud, they were very critical, and they were very judgmental. They were self-righteous. And Luke, in several places in his Gospel, chapter 11, chapter 18, will give detailed descriptions of what they were like. Well, these Pharisees were on the outside, along with their mates, the scribes, the lawyers, the people who were experts in the minutiae of the laws of the Scriptures. So the atmosphere was a bit tense. I could imagine the group on the outside saying, looking in, well, look at him. He's not only in there with them, he seems to be enjoying it. Here we are on the outside, we've tried to be good, we've tried not to do evil or to break the commandments. We haven't always succeeded, but at least we've tried. They haven't even tried. And here he is, and he calls himself sent from God, he calls himself a teacher of God, and here he is associating with people like that. Two groups, one on the inside, friends of Jesus. Second group, on the outside, the enemies of Jesus. That's pretty typical of Jesus. Wherever he went, he tended to divide people into two groups, those who were attracted to him and those who were repelled by him. Those whom uh, he loved and cared for and others who, well, people who loved him and others who didn't like him, hated him, wanted to get rid of him. They were grumbling and criticizing on the outside. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them three stories, and the three stories are very closely connected. Jesus is the master storyteller, the master communicator, who is laying the foundation so that there is a, and a wonderful appeal to them to be reconciled to God. Jesus talks about the lost sheep. <clears throat> um, he talks about... Uh, a shepherd who goes looking for a sheep that was lost far away. Then he tells the story of the woman who is at home looking for a lost coin. Two stories of lostness, one far away, one at home. Jesus uses the, a man for the shepherd and a woman, the one at home. Everybody is included. And these two stories are preparing us for this story, the parable of the father with his two sons. One son was lost far away. One son was lost who was at home. Before we jump into verse 11 and follow it through in these scriptures, I want to say these three things that are true for all of these stories together. Number one, something was lost and that something was of great value to the shepherd, to the woman, to the father, all representing God. 
Something was lost and it's of great value to our Heavenly Father. Number two, a search was made. And when the lost thing or person is found, there is great joy and there is great rejoicing at the finding of it. And number three, to note, the things that happen on earth in these stories affect the feelings of what goes on in heaven. Jesus says that the angels rejoice when a sinner repents and turns to God. So God is not removed from us. God is not aloof to us. God is not indifferent to us. Even if some people on earth don't like, accept or agree with what God is doing, they murmur and grumble and criticise and complain about it. Nonetheless, heaven has joy when sinners come back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. The angels know better. So Jesus says, he continues, having told those two stories quickly, Jesus continued, there was a man. He had two sons. We're going to look at each one of those three. Firstly, the youngest son in verses 12 to 20. Oops. The younger son one day came to his father and said, give me, give me my share of the estate. So the father surprisingly divided his property between them. The young son, we aren't told how old he is, but he's old enough to be able to move out of house and old enough to be able to move away. Obviously had some sort of background and the father knew what he was like and the father surprisingly gives it to him. This is one part of the story that I've always struggled with until I reflected on it this week and I surmise, assume... The father knew his son. He knew that his son wasn't happy. He was miserable at home and he knew he just wanted to get away. And in fact, the father is very wise. The father releases him, lets him go in order that he might either mature or even sadly come to ruin. It takes great courage as a parent to let your child ruin their life. Of course, we're not talking about a small child. The Bible says that we are to train up a child in the way they're to go and they won't depart from it when they're older. But when our children get to an age where they are adults, where they are responsible for their own choices, you've got to cut them slack and give them room. That's what God does with us. He resources us. He gives us life and health and resources. He lets us go. Knowing it's not the best thing, but it's the way our Heavenly Father works and we can learn from that. Well, this young son came to his dad and said, Dad, give me my share of the estate. He's not saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. I think he's saying to his dad, why don't you retire? Why don't you just sit back and take the rest of life easy? If he had awaited the son, obviously he was impatient. If he had waited, then he would have received... Uh, a third of the estate but because his father was still living and the estate was going to be divided uh, then according to the customs and laws of the time the son would have received not 33 percent but only 22 percent he received two-ninths of the estate and the son was happy with that have money will travel so he was delighted to get it verse 13 tells us not long after that the young son got together all that he had. He got his clothes, got his shoes, got whatever other possessions he was taking with him and he shot through. 
he set off for a distant country. He already had a country in mind of where he was going to go. He could have gone 300 miles north to Antioch, which was the Paris of the ancient world. Lots of distractions there for him. There were eight out of nine Jewish people were living abroad at this time. And so there were a lot of Jewish communities around and lots of people had a similar culture and background. So he would easily find his way into any part of the world, go east to uh, Babylon, go uh, west to Greece or Italy or Rome. He could go south down to Egypt or Africa. He could go north to Asia Minor. He had lots of opportunities and he had one country in mind and he went there. And when he got there, with all of this money, that he now had in possession, he squandered his wealth in wild living. We're not told what sort of wild living it was, but we imagine he wanted fun, he wanted freedom, he wanted friends, and he had the finances now to enjoy it. And he did for a time. It's what you can do. You can do whatever you like for a time. And eventually, we become accountable. Eventually, things change. He was a, a no-good son. Didn't want a job, didn't want to work. He wanted to live it up. He wanted to not miss out on what he thought he could possibly have. So he goes into a far country. And then we are told that, as is typical of many situations in life, after he spent all that he had, had money, got friends. No money, no friends. There was a severe famine that hit the whole country, not just his area, but the whole country. And he had nothing. He'd spent it all. Hadn't invested it, hadn't saved it, hadn't kept it. He had nothing. And the Bible says, verse 14, that he began to be in need. He's now on a decline, uh, a journey which is going to get worse and worse. He began to be in need. And eventually he brings himself out of desperation to hire himself as a worker, a labourer, to a citizen of that country where he had gone. And the citizen of that country didn't really want to do too much with him or for him, but sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. An unclean animal to a Jewish person because to eat pork or to associate farm pigs, you were considered to be dirty in God's sight. Or an unclean animal. So that is an indication of how desperate he was. All of his self-respect is gone and he's now declined to the extent of feeding pigs. But it says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Whatever he was earning, he wasn't earning enough to satisfy his hunger pangs and he even desired to eat the rubbish and the pods from trees that the pigs were being fed and no one was feeding him the owner often if you employed a day labor you would give them lunch you would give them sustenance throughout that day as well as pay them at the end of the day well this owner wasn't doing any of that he was a gentile and he wasn't assisting this son in any way at all no one would give him anything Verse 17 then says, so when he came to his senses, or in the authorised version, I think it says, or in other versions, when he came to himself. It takes this point in our life where things are going wrong, that we come to ourselves, We realise what situation we are in. And he then remembered that his father, 
hired, had hired servants, day labourers, and they had food and to spare. His father would feed the day labourers, and here he says, here I am and I'm starving to death. There were three levels of servants in the ancient world and for farms. There were those that were called bond servants. They were the guys that had their ears pierced and they were devoted and committed to that family for life. And in turn, they were looked after by that family. Then there were household servants, men and women. They likewise didn't receive any wage, but they were provided for. They had food and clothes and anything else that they needed, but they were servants. And then the third category were hired servants. Those who were the people waiting in the market for someone to come and say, can you work for me today? Seasonal workers. He said, these bottom level servants, they have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. He's acknowledging of the foolishness of the choices that he had made. And then he resolves within himself, I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That's true. But notice he's come to the point where he's prepared to confess, to acknowledge, to admit that he has sinned. We all need to get to that point. I've sinned against heaven and against you by the way that I've been living, the way I've been wasting the money, working with pigs, which is against God's laws, and dishonouring his father. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, bottom level, day by day, basic pay, um, and perhaps with his father's generosity, food each day. Then the Bible says, so he got up and went to his father. Good thoughts and good intentions don't help anyone. Action is required. He had resolved that that's what he was going to do, and so he did. And he made the long trip home. In his dirty rags of clothes, probably without shoes on his feet. Certainly by the time he arrives, he has no shoes. And he was going with the intention of negotiating with his father. I'm going to say this to my dad and I'm going to say I'm not worthy to be called your son, just hire me. And he still didn't know his father, what his father was really like. He had some level of understanding, but he hadn't considered how his father would feel if he hired his son and he was working in the kitchen, so to speak. So now, the second character, the waiting father, who appears twice in this story after each son. Verse 20 continues, but while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. While he was a long way off, somewhere on the horizon, his dad was looking in the direction, looking for his son. Had the father heard about the famine? Had the father heard about the difficulties his son had gotten into? We're not told any of those sorts of details, but the dad was looking, waiting, longing and hoping that his son would return. And when he saw him, his heart is filled with compassion for him and he does something that senior men in that world did not do. The Jewish law, in fact, their minor traditions said that a, 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 a nobleman could not walk through a a field in case a thorn get caught the end of his robe and lifted the robe to reveal his ankle. That would have been terrible. 
So you didn't lift up your robe and run. Well, this dad does. He's bucking their custom, their sensitivities, if you like, because he was desperate to run to his son. One commentator says, Kenneth Bailey says, in fact, he ran to his son because if anybody else, any other servant or anybody from the nearby village had seen his son before the father got to him, they would have belted him. They would have, in turn, protected the honour of the family name. So his father is running to him to protect him, to get to him as quickly as he can. And when he get there, when he got there, he must have been able to smell him, which would have been pretty off-putting, but he still threw his arms around him. He embraced him, fell on his very grubby, grimy neck and kissed him, treating him as an equal. And again, you see, in, those, in that world, um, servants would kiss the feet of the master. Um, you would kiss the hand of a teacher but a kiss on the cheek or on the neck was to be treated as an equal remember judas and jesus in the garden of gethsemane Um, and the father did that demonstrating his full acceptance and joy at his son coming home father could have said take a bath and we'll talk but he doesn't there's no rebuke for the past there's no advice about the present there's no demands for the future There's no probation and there are no conditions set. Well, if you behave yourself, then I might give you a second chance. There's none of that. There's just total acceptance, immediate and full return. The son starts his dialogue, which he had prepared, but the father interrupts him. The father says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The best robe was reserved for very special guests. The ring was authority and it'd be like us giving our credit card. Here is my without limit credit card. Put sandals on his feet because he's a freed man, he's not a servant or a slave. And kill the fattened calf. That animal that we'd been fattening up for a very special occasion, well, this is it. Take it and barbecue it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. And they do. It's a great story and it'd be great if it had stopped there, wouldn't it? But Jesus had said right in the beginning, um, there was a man and he had two sons. So we still need to hear about the second son. Verse 24, the father explains to the servants, for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. This is repeated in verse 32. It's what the father will say to the older son as well. Those people who are far from God, like this son from the father, are spiritually dead, separated, cut off, and they're lost, lost by their own choices. But those who return, like the son returned to the father, those who return to God are considered to be alive and found. They're alive, they're born again. They're connected with God in a relationship. They're found, they're at home, they're in that secure, accepting relationship story goes on the older brother meanwhile the elder son was in the field and when he came near the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants didn't call the father and asked him what was going on servant says your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has um, has him back safe and sound he's back and it's all for him 
And I can imagine the elder son thinking, that good-for-nothing brother, and my father is too soft. That's a bad decision. And then the servant would have said something like this to the older brother, come on in. There's plenty of food. Come and rejoice and celebrate with us. The older brother was out in the field. He used to either work or it would appear that he does not have a close relationship with the father, that he liked to be away from the father. He'd been off all that day and he was arriving back late, probably in the evening. Sun had set, party had started, which helps us to understand or explain why hadn't he been told? Why hadn't he been invited? Well, because he was a long way away, taking himself off. And as he came home late that night, he heard music and dancing. Calls a servant, what's going on? And then he discovers this truth that his brother has come back. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. The servant invited him in, he declined. He was angry because I would imagine in his mind and attitude, the younger brother had got it easy. All he did was come home. I never left home. And secondly, he was angry because the younger brother was enjoying it way too much. He should have been apologetic and sorrowful and repentant. So the father goes out to the son. Notice the father approaches both sons. He goes out to the younger son and now he's approaching the older one. Um, and says to him, um, son, come in celebrate tries to explain it but he argues with his dad and he says look all of these years i've been slaving for you slaving and i never disobeyed your orders not like him yet you never gave me even a young goat so i could celebrate with my friends you gave me nothing you gave him part of the estate but when this low-life son of yours returns, who has squandered all of the wealth, all of your property, and notice he's a little bit malicious, he throws in with prostitutes. How does he know that? Well, he doesn't know it. He's making it up. He's imagining that's what he did. When he who squandered everything comes home, you kill the fattened calf, and it's for him. You should have belted him. But no, you bless him and you barbecue the cow for him. It's almost, you can hear the older brother going, what about me? What about me? Father then says, exactly the same words as he says to the younger son. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Potential, we have a relationship. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he reminds him, I'm a father to him and I'm also a father to you. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Well, how did the older brother respond? The story ends. We don't know. How did the Pharisees and the scribes respond? How do we respond? Where do we fit? in this story somebody summarized the first part of this story as very cleverly as this the prodigal son part 
it's not all of it. Sick of home, sick when he was away, homesick, and then home. The truth for us, something of great value was lost. God values us. He has made us in his image and sent his son to pay for us to come home. All of us matter to God. All people do. And all that search has been made for us so that we might come into a relationship with our heavenly, heavenly Father. Whenever someone does, returnings always should re result in rejoicing. And we need to pray uh, that people who come to know the Father, meet the Father before they meet the elder brother. Jesus called sinners to repent, to return. That's why he was so welcoming and accepting of tax collectors and sinners. They admitted it, they knew it. The Pharisees, who were so judgmental, Jesus also speaks to them that he wants them to come. He wants them to repent, to be accepted by God. God loves all people, the wayward as well as the obedient, and it requires the same for us. Let me finish with this and then I'll pray. Somebody wrote, I think it's a poem or a song, there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There is a way that is open and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. When Jesus went back to heaven, he left the front door open and the welcome mat out and he invites all of us, come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are a God like the Father in this story, a Father who is generous, a Father who is wise, a Father who is forgiving and accepting. Lord, enable us and our friends and our families and our work colleagues to discover this wonderful truth that there is a way back to you. There is a way for us to be accepted and to be forgiven, for life to begin when we accept Jesus. Lord, continue to work in each of our hearts and lives and open our eyes to the world around us, the world that you love so deeply. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.